Like we could also just start the show. Like, hey, it's the episode that I'm Ed Ronco. Bang, ding. Not every one, yeah. episode has to have a cold that's open. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we'll do that. Hey, I'm Ed Ronco, and this is the Up North Lowdown, our weekly review of life in northern Michigan from Interlochen Public Radio. Coming up, a trip to Manistee for a community celebration of mentors and a fall tradition in Presqu'ile County. But first, the river through Traverse City is more than just water. The Boardman Ottaway River is crystal clear and it looks perfectly clean to the naked eye, but it's not. There are tiny, sometimes microscopic, pieces of plastic that scientists are continuing to discover in bodies of water all over the world, like here in northern Michigan, where one professor is enlisting his biology students to search for plastic in the river. Our very own Ellie Katz with the story. Liam Tank is lying on his stomach alongside the Boardman River. He dips a metal water bottle in and out of the water three times. So I point it towards the actual flow so it goes into it so we're actually collecting what's actually there instead of other way around which would not work properly then on the fourth dip underwater he screws the cap closed cap it there we go that's it tank and his classmates at northwestern michigan college are looking for microplastics Tiny pieces of plastic smaller than five milliliters are about the width of a pencil eraser. Where we're standing now, right next to the governmental center in Traverse City, is among 24 sampling sites throughout the Boardman River watershed. And uh, I think we have found microplastics in all but one. Nick Roster is a biology professor at NMC. He says what his students are finding doesn't surprise him. There's a misunderstanding of the sheer amount of plastic in our watershed. Um, you look at the river and, you know, you, you could watch us pour out a sample and it looks like beautiful crystal clear water, but it's not. I have pictures of, like through the microscope, of plastics and I'll show people, hey, this is what we're finding. And they're amazed that, one, we're finding stuff that's that small, but also the quantity of it. Tiny specks and strands of purple, blue, and red plastic show up under the microscope. Storm Sandula and Timothy Vang are both students in Roster's biology class. It's kind of shocking because I'm kind of like, I feel like all of us like Michiganders kind of pride ourselves in our water and our lakes. And so when something like this is in them, it's like, oh, okay, that's not. It's a bit of a reality check, I guess. Mm-hmm. Something, something all of us need to know so we can maybe form efforts to fix it. Microplastics can come from bigger pieces of plastic that have broken down. Things like plastic bottles and bags, but they can also start small. Little fibers shedding off of our polyester clothes or tiny beads added to the toothpaste and beauty products we flush down the drain every day. From there, they can break down even further into nanoplastics. While microplastics may not be able to get into your body, nanoplastics can. We don't know, I don't think at this point we don't know of any direct health effects, but the possibility is there. And so these are things that, while it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, um, as these plastics continue to break down, they'll, they'll create more and more hazards for us. Roster says this is the first effort he knows of to sample microplastics across the entire Boardman River watershed. He and his students will sample once a month over the next two years. The idea is to gather baseline data. Roster says he hopes it'll increase awareness of microplastics in the watershed, eventually leading to policy change in the region. I think most people would probably, if you asked them, say, yeah, there's probably plastic. But they're thinking like plastic bags or plastic cups. Um, 
those eventually break down into the microplastics and nanoplastics if left in the environment. I think the, the biggest mistake to make is that because I can't see it, it's not there. So what to do about it all? Well, using less single-use plastic like water bottles, straws, and plastic bags is a good first step to limiting microplastics. But the solution has to stretch beyond that. Experts say we need to improve recycling processes and rethink how we design plastic products. And more research is needed to understand the effects of microplastics accumulating in our ecosystems and in our bodies. IPR environment reporter Ellie Katz from the banks of the Boardman-Ottaway River in Traverse City. We told you a few episodes ago about a tribute in Manistee County for James Earl Jones, the famed actor. Here he is on the Dick Cavett Show in 1972. I had an English teacher in high school who discovered that when I read my own poetry, I I didn't stutter because I wasn't in confrontation with other people's uh, feelings or thoughts, you know. He's referring to Donald Crouch, who helped him overcome a stutter through memorization and recitation. Jones and Crouch are now immortalized in statues sitting not far from the high school where all of this happened all those years ago, Brethren High School. But the monument also carries the names of people nominated by community members because they themselves are good mentors. IPR's Tyler Thompson was at the unveiling. On a wickedly windy, chilly autumn day in Brethren, about 100 people pack a small school auditorium. That's about a third of this town's population. People are adding extra chairs. Others are standing. We are honoring a former graduate, a famous one for sure, and his teacher who helped him overcome his stutter and find his famous voice. That's Cynthia Asalia with the Arts and Culture Alliance of Manistee. We also want to emphasize how important it is to recognize mentors who help us in our own lives and how their influence can lead to a successful, satisfying life. Thank you. James Earl Jones moved from Mississippi to Manistee County when he was five. And he didn't talk much growing up because of his stutter. And then he met his ninth grade English teacher. My great grandpa taught Darth Vader. How cool is that? (laughs) Said Hallie is the great grandson of Donald Crouch, who taught Jones and helped him overcome his stutter through poetry and memorization. Jones has said that's what set him on the path to a legendary acting career. Mentoring is a small way for each of us to make a big difference for someone else. The two that we are commemorating today are a shining example of that. If my great-grandfather had not taken the time to work with Mr. Jones, think of the things that would be different for us. The plains of Africa would have a different voice, baseball in a homemade field in Iowa would sound different, and Luke may not know who his father is. (laughs) Then the crowd moved outside for the big moment. Gusts of wind whipped through the field as the sun competed with an overcast sky. The crowd gathered by the statues as Joy Smith from the Arts and Culture Alliance greeted people. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to unveil the statues. Aren't we blessed with the sunshine and no rain? And then Joy Smith grabbed some drumsticks and played in the big moment. A homegrown, world-renowned, talented bestie. 
Sculptor Bernadette Zacharias removes a blue sheet, revealing Jones. She then moves over to the Donald Crouch statue. The Alliance wanted to celebrate more than their local celebrities. They wanted to celebrate the importance of mentorship. So they asked the public to nominate their mentors and received over 100 names that are listed next to the statues. Jones was unable to attend the festivities, but his cousin, Terry Connolly, said Jones was a mentor to him. Connolly nominated four people, like his father, who taught him how to fix everything, and his former government teacher at Brethren High School. Connolly says he graduated with a D-minus average, but without his teacher's help, he may not have made it. Others nominated siblings, parents, friends, neighbors, pastors, folks who made a positive difference in other people's lives. Cindy Asalia nominated her teachers at Brethren. She grew up there, graduated, and eventually taught Spanish in her hometown. When you really think about it, so many people have helped shape your life. And those are the people that really make you want to do your best. The statues of James Earl Jones, Donald Crouch, and the names of local mentors are right outside of Calava Norman Dixon schools across the street from the former Brethren High School. Tyler Thompson in Manistee County. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Camila Kashani from NPR StoryCorps podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism, music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR Network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. I'm Ed Ronco. We have talked in this podcast before about Michigan's apple industry, specifically how it has been a bumper year for growers and how the apples are piling up. That has meant a very good year for people who love to visit orchards just for fun, as one of those fall things to do, along with bonfires and leaf peeping. IPR's Michael Livingston takes us now to a family-owned orchard near Rogers City that serves as an autumn tradition for hundreds of northern Michigan residents. Here are some voices and sounds from that munchy, crunchy apple farm. And yes, three M's in munchy. That is indeed important. Tell everyone, how do you pronounce this place's name? <laughs> it's Cannabis. Cannabis Munchy Crunchy Apple Farm. Do you do you pronounce it with the munchy? Crunchy? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, we do. I, I think at some point we might shorten it a little bit just because the paperwork gets a little lengthy after a while, but uh, but the, the legal name is is with the, the three M's on the munchies. I'm Scott Cromer. My wife, Allison, and I uh, own Cannabis Apple Farm, and uh, this is our third season. We took it over from Dana and Andy Heffley, who took it over from uh, their parents, Ed and Dusty. They, Ed and Dusty still live across the road. They're the ones that started the orchard back in the, back in the late 80s. I grew up um, working just down the road and um, worked for, for Ed from when I was about 10 or 11 years old on. And then I uh, grew up, moved away, and then when the opportunity came to, to come back and do this, we, we jumped on it and 
We've been loving it ever since. Can you walk me to your favorite apples in the orchard? Because you have multiple varieties, right? Yeah, we have about 40 varieties in our orchard. And uh, yeah, we can walk right down here and that's um, it's gonna be the galas. So. They do a lot and uh, they, they do. They provide something really special in the site of the first several pressings of the year for us. We have a lot of early varieties and um, you know that those tend to be more tart. Um, once you start getting the galas in there in late September, um, it just, everything is better. So these are the goats. And then these are our sheep. <laughs> They'll talk to us. That one's Goldie. And you got anything else to say, Goldie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eating my microphone. <laughs> this is, this is a place where, uh, a lot of kids grew up and now they're bringing their children back here. It's been around long enough to, to do that. And uh, same thing with, um, you know, grandparents and everything. And it is, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing to see that and that um, they want to share that time here, you know, with us. So, My name is David Levandusky. I actually grew up in Rogers City, but have since moved to Arizona. As kids, we would go out and pick pumpkins in the pumpkin patch. There's always a big competition, so you could find the biggest pumpkin. That was a lot of fun. And then the gift shop was always really fun, too, finding some little trinket to bring home. I am Devin Witten, and we have come out here. We've been going to many apple orchards here in Michigan because my dad is from Michigan. He is Jason Witten but not the football player. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can Thank go. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is our first time here. You have a nice place. Oh, it's your first time. Well, welcome. Yes. We always like it when new people We're come. We're down by toward the Lansing area. So okay, I'm, I'm actually um, from Parma. Okay. I moved up here from Parma. Yeah, so. even the drive up here is gorgeous. My name is Kathy Vogel. I am originally from the suburbs of Detroit, uh, transplanted out to the Lansing area, and now we have retired and I live in Hawks. I've worked here, I think this is my 10th season. Um, it's a special place for me because my, my oldest son is 33, my younger son is 30, and we've been bringing them here since they were children, since they were little. So once I retired and moved up here and saw that they were hiring, I just thought, oh, what a perfect, I knew it was a happy place. It's always been a happy place and everybody loves it. And so I thought, well, why not give it a whirl? Every year I walk out exhausted at the end of the season saying, this is it, I can't do this again. My, my back hurts, my feet hurt, my knees hurt. And then you get the phone call in the summer from, you know, from management and are you coming back? And like all that disappears because it's fun and, and back again. <laughs> I'm a honey crisp snob. So these are these are the best. Let me uh, let me not take a big one because I have a whole bunch of them at home. Oh, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you can see, it's so juicy, and it's got it's mostly sweet, but then it has that tart finish that is my favorite. Mm -hmm. So good. A few moments at Kanabi's Munchy Crunchy Apple Farm near Rogers City. Okay, let's take a look at some of the other things that were news in Michigan this week. Michigan Senate Republicans are writing to federal and state officials. They want them to get the ball rolling on the Line 5 tunnel project beneath the Straits of Mackinac. There have been years of delays from regulators and the Army Corps of Engineers. State Senator Ed McBroom, a Republican from the UP, says the delays are, quote, foolish. Earlier this year, the Army Corps said its environmental review could take until 2026. The project is a lightning rod for controversy and is vigorously opposed by environmental groups. 
a bill in Lansing could open up some sport fishes to commercial fishing. The measure would allow walleye and lake trout to be caught by commercial fishers. The Michigan United Conservation Clubs opposes the bill. They do not want game fish to be subject to a commercial harvest. They say they'll push for a revised measure. Health departments in northern Michigan have had a hard time getting the latest COVID-19 vaccines. The federal government has stopped subsidizing them, which has played a role in making them harder to come by. If you want a COVID vaccine, you still can get one. Your best bet is a pharmacy or a primary care provider. County health departments say they will alert the public when they have widespread supplies. Archery season is in full swing for deer hunters, and the state is reminding those hunters that this year they need to keep track of their harvest. They'll have to report it to the Department of Natural Resources within 72 hours, either online or over the phone, and that is a big change for hunters who previously did not have to report at all, but were sometimes asked to participate in a voluntary survey. Firearm season starts, as always, on November 15th. That's it for the Up North Lowdown this week. We had contributions from Ellie Katz, Tyler Thompson, Michael Livingston, Max Howard, and Elizabeth Brewer at the Traverse City Record Eagle. We heard music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our producer is Max Copeland. I'm Ed Ronco. And one last thing before we go. Over on the radio station part of Interlock and Public Radio, we're having the fund drive this week. You know, that public radio thing where we ask you for money every so often. Funding for IPR is what makes things like this podcast, yes, this very podcast, possible. The majority of our budget comes from the contributions of people just like you, who listen, like what they hear, and want to throw us a little cheddar. So head over to iprnews.org today and make a donation in any amount. Seriously, any amount. I mean, 20 bucks, that's good. 5,000 bucks, that's amazing. You can even sign up to make a monthly gift. It is up to you. No kidding here, though. We appreciate every penny. Thanks for listening and contributing. We will leave you this week with a little moment from a trumpet player named Jim Beckering. He's in Beulah, and he is featured in a new series from IPR called Fresh Coast Creatives. You heard the first episode last week on this podcast. We're going to start sharing them with you as a special midweek bonus episode right here in the Up North Lowdown feed every Wednesday. So pay attention to this feed for Fresh Coast Creatives on Wednesdays. Uh, let me play a couple notes here to get warmed up, all no right? Worries. And uh, get some air going through this little horn. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. One of the things that I love about working on games is that they love music. All game developers love music. I've never heard less is more when I've been working on a game. That's Emmy-winning composer Laura Karpman. On Gameplay this week, we'll talk with Laura and hear some of her video game music for EverQuest 2, Connect Disneyland Adventures, and lots more. I'm Keith Brown. Join me. You can stream full episodes of Gameplay on demand and view playlists at GameplayShow.org.